Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. If you go ahead and stand with me as we read Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, These are the words to him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has a throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak and enticed the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols, by committing sexual immorality. And likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who has overcome, sorry, <clears throat> to him who overcomes, I will give some of the, writ, of the hidden manna. I will also ha- give him a white stone with his name written on it, known only to him who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. So, did you catch? What's going on in the city of Pergamum, which is what we're talking about here today. It's the place where literally, when Revelation is being written, the devil had his throne. That's an appropriate thing to talk about on Halloween, don't you think? Which is totally by accident. We didn't mean for that to happen. But here we are. We're talking about the devil where he had his throne in the time of Revelation when it was written on Halloween. Isn't Halloween an interesting day? Now think about this. Like, This is the one day of the year where we can take our kids to random strange neighborhoods and send them to the door of a stranger and said, go ahead, kids, go ask for something. Go ahead, ask for some candy. You know, and it's like, what? On any other day of the year, that wouldn't fly. That would be totally inappropriate, and it would be weird. But tonight, it's normal. It's cool. That's what we do on Halloween. I don't know whoever thought that up, but it's just kind of one of those weird things we do on Halloween. Halloween is also the time of the year where all those fun, family-friendly movies come out in the theater. Like Children of the Corn, you know, a great family movie, Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all those movies that you love to watch with your family. Halloween, one, two, three, four, five, you know, this year Halloween Kills came out. Next year I hear Saw 37's coming out, so I'm sure you're looking forward to that. That's what we get to experience on on Halloween, right? Uh, Halloween, though, is, it's, it's interesting how different, different Places and different, you know, cities and areas just, just tap into just the, the, the theme of Halloween. I'll never forget being at Disneyland a few years ago, and I had this crazy Halloween experience. Now, Amy and I, we got married in October, so just a few weeks ago was like our 19th wedding anniversary. And thank you, so I appreciate it. 
Uh, and uh, what we did on our honeymoon was went to Disneyland. And so it became like our place. Like, we love Disneyland. We would go there almost every year for the first 10 years of our marriage. We loved Disneyland. Had a cool connection that could get us into Disneyland. And so we were the crazy parents that even took our kids when they were babies, when they were one, when they were two, when they were three. And some of you were like, I would never do that in my life. But we loved it, okay, because we just loved Disneyland. We had a blast. And I'll never forget, at the beginning of the years going there, back in the early 2000s, Disneyland was like this fall fest, harvest, pumpkins and candy corn everywhere. And then slowly through the years, it became not just this fall harvesty thing. It became this Halloween thing. If you've been uh, during October, you've seen it now. Like They just totally capitalize on Halloween, and they just go all out. And I'll never forget the year I realized it because our kids were about five and two at the time, pushing a stroller through this massive crowd at Disneyland. Anybody remember the stroller days? Some of you are there, you're trying to navigate a stroller through crowds, and there's this big program going on in Cinderella's castle. It's about nine o'clock at night. We're trying to get out of the park so we can go back to the hotel, go to bed, and get up the next day and just attack Disneyland hard again. But our kids were littler, so we needed to go to bed a little bit earlier than we do now. Now we shut the park down at 12.30. We're, we're there until afterwards. But then we had to make sure to get the kids decent sleep. They're, they're young, they're little. This program that's going on at Cinderella Castle is not... The most kid-friendly thing I've seen at Disneyland. I, there's all these witches, and they're yelling, and they're screaming, and they're doing all this stuff. And my kids were kind of freaked out by it. So I like, let's get the kids out of here. We're trying to navigate the big crowd going out in front of Cinderella Castle, trying to get down Main Street when there's hundreds of people is a challenge, even without a stroller. But we're trying to get out. And as we're exiting, all of a sudden, the narrator of the program said, now, everybody, we are going to call to the spirits of the dead. Everybody, scream. And I'm not kidding you. Everybody around us in Disneyland went, ah! You know, people were yelling, and me and Amy were looking at each other like, what on earth? We're, we're, we're calling out to the spirits of the dead here at Disneyland. This, I thought this was like the, the happiest place on earth. This is like the freakiest place on earth right now. And our kids are like, Daddy, what's going on here? You know, it just kind of became kind of odd as we began to do things, like, or we saw this going on at Disneyland. Even Disneyland's getting in on this Halloween thing. It's just an interesting time of the year because it's the one time of the year where... The devil becomes obvious. The rest of the year, he's very covert, very subtle, and we don't pay much attention to him. Most people don't. But this year, this time of year, it's like he's obvious, and it actually can become even cool to celebrate the devil and demonic things and evil and witchcraft and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of a cool thing when the rest of the year, all that stuff is, is a little more covert. But it's important we understand who the devil is. He has one mission, and that is to destroy your life. So whether he does it subtly or obviously, that still is his mission, to destroy your life. It's important we understand the reality of the devil, and we got to be careful with things like this. Now, Peter said this, one of Jesus' main disciples. He said this. He says, be self-controlled and alert so those are words like, pay attention, be aware, and understand what's going on, because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, and unfortunately, he's doing way too good of a job, devouring people's lives. Jesus said this. He said of the devil, he's a thief, and the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and have it to the full. And so you've got two different plans that you see laid out for your life. One plan offers 
destruction, steal, kill, and destroy. The other plan offers life into the fullness and an abundant life. And so you and I are left with a choice. Who are we going to follow? Who are we going to trust? And most of us would say, well, I'm not following Satan. I'm not like one of those like Satan worshipers, a part of the Satanic church and all that kind of stuff. I'm not doing that, you know. But if we are not trusting and following Jesus, then we have given into his ways, the devil's ways. And we are, maybe it was subtle and it's not obvious, but we are not trusting in Jesus. And that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. But Jesus says, I got life for you if you trust me, if you follow me. And the devil, he wants nothing more than to pull you away from Jesus because he hates you, he hates Jesus. He doesn't want you to experience life now and forevermore. So the choice is ours, friends. What are we going to choose? It's important we understand who he really is. And and we believe that the devil's real and the hell is real and all that. And here's why. Because Jesus talked clearly about all of that. He talked a lot about hell, talked a lot about the devil. And we just believe passionately in Jesus, who he is, and his teachings. And here's why we believe in him is because Jesus said this. He says, I'm going to die on the cross, but I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to conquer death. And then he did it. And so what we like to say around here at Rivers Church is that anybody who can predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, that's the guy you can trust. That's the guy you can put your life on right there. And so Jesus did all that. And so all those other teachings, we want to line up with those there. We trust those as well. And so Jesus has some very, very important words for us today. Now, we're going to look at a message he spoke to the church in Pergamum years ago, about 1,900 years ago. But as you'll see, it's just as pertinent today for us as it was then. So Revelation chapter 2, if you got your Bible, feel free to go there. If you want to go on your smartphone, your tablet, go to Revelation chapter 2, look at a few verses here. And uh, we were supposed to hit this last week, but I spent too long, two weeks in in Revelation chapter 1. And so that's why it bumped the church where Satan has his throne on Halloween. So I guess it just kind of made sense, right? It's all, it's perfect. I, I read this, this, passage to my family a few nights ago at the dinner table just because I wanted to talk about it and say, what do you guys think? What do you guys see in this? What are you learning? And so we had some fun discussion, but then we ended up on this discussion of where do you think the devil has his throne today? If it was in Pergamum, the time Revelation was written, what about today? Where does the devil have his throne today? And so my daughter is like, I wonder if it's in Afghanistan because of all the the horror, the tragedy, the evil, the craziness that's happening there. So she hears about that stuff, and she's like, I wonder if that's where he has his throne. Okay, maybe, to perhaps. My son's like, I wonder if it's in Vegas. And some of you are already thinking it. Come on, no, let's be honest. It's in Las Vegas. That's my number one choice, right? Maybe it's Las Vegas. Maybe it's Hollywood. Maybe it's in Scottsdale. I know, that's where the devil has his throne, in Scottsdale, right? Or possibly even Sedona. Have you been to Sedona? Oh, my, there's... There's some stuff up there in Sedona. Like, I love Sedona. My family and I, we love to visit there, hang out there. Beautiful, so much fun. But there's like crazy spiritual new age, all that stuff in there. And it's all this stuff that really just pulls you away from Jesus. So every time I'm there with my family, like we have a blast, but I'm I'm praying to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, do you want Rivers Church to have a campus up here in Sedona? Because like there's lots of darkness spiritually. And it'd just be great to just penetrate the darkness with, with the light of, of you, Jesus. And would, I'd love to be a part of that because then it would just give me more excuses to be in Sedona because I love being in Sedona too. And I'd love to do ministry in Sedona and enjoy Sedona. That'd be awesome. I, don't know, I just think that, but it's an interesting place Sedona is. So here we are, Revelation 
Chapter 2, let's walk through these verses, and we're going to learn some, some good stuff here today. You ready? Good. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the double who has the sharp, double-edged sword. Right there, this is Jesus referencing again back to the vision where he revealed himself to John in chapter one. And in that vision, that sharp, double-edged sword was coming out of Jesus' mouth, which is just cool imagery right there, right? Now remember, swords have the power to, to take life and to save life. And so does Jesus. And his words have the power to judge, but also bring salvation. So then let's keep going on here. We're going to fly through some of this, but I know, verse 13 says, Jesus says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Okay, so, now Pergamum was a very important city in those days perhaps considered to be the greatest city in Asia Minor. Asia Minor. Let's go to a map. just want you to see where Pergamum is. And so on this map, you can see that with the arrow, that's where the island of Patmos is. That's where John has been exiled, and he is writing this, this vision that Jesus has given him, which is the letter of Revelation. He's writing that down, and then he's going to send it to the seven churches because Jesus is a tome, send it to the seven churches. So we've been in Ephesus. Last week we were in Smyrna. Today we're in Pergamum. I think that might say, it says Pergamos, Pergamos. That's what the King Jimmy version says. Uh, the rest of the translations will say Pergamum, and then they got the rest of the seven churches in Revelation. And so we are taking time in this apocalypse series to land every, uh, on one city every week because there are some very good things we can learn from the message Jesus has to each of these seven cities. Very important things that we can learn for us as a church and as, as believers today. And so we're taking time to walk through the seven churches of Revelation. So you can see where they are in modern day Turkey. It was Asia Minor back in, in the Bible times. So Pergamum, was a very important city, lots of temples there. It was the center of Roman emperor worship. So people would gather there from all over the region to worship Caesar as Lord. Okay, that was the law. And so they were, de they were supposed to declare him as Lord and, and worship him as Lord as well. And then there was like the temple of Zeus and Athenes and or Athena and uh, all these other temples that were just all over Pergamum. It was like this epicenter of of all these gods and temples and worship and cultic activity, and you'd, there was like temple prostitution and all this craziness going on in this city. And so this is why Jesus is saying, I know where you live, the place where devil ha the devil has a stronghold. In fact, that's where his throne is right now. You can see there's the, the power that he has in this city. Yet Jesus commends the believers. He says, even in the midst of all this, you've stayed faithful to me. And so he's commending them for their faithfulness. And then he reminds them of their good friend Antipas who was so faithful to Jesus and living for Jesus, and he would not declare Caesar's Lord. He, he was faithful to say, Jesus is Lord, and I won't compromise my faith in Jesus that he lost his life. And so Jesus calls him his faithful witness. And so Jesus is commending them and reminding them, okay, you know, you, you've been faithful. Antipas was faithful even though he lost his life. And then he goes on to say this. He says, but I got... Even though I want to commend you for that, I got some things I need to speak to. And how many know that Jesus, in love, sometimes needs to speak to us about some things? And so this is why we learn so much good stuff 
from these different cities, the churches in these cities uh, of, of Revelation here, because we struggle with the same things almost 2,000 years later. So this is what's going on here. Uh, let's go to uh, verse 14. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who will hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. All right, so there's a lot going on, and in, in, in what you see is Jesus is referencing an Old Testament story here. Balaam, Balak, okay, that's an Old Testament story. If you're familiar with that story and you study that story, you can really understand the depths of what Jesus is meaning here. Now, this is one of the reasons, by the way, that we believe in the Old Testament and we read and study the Old Testament, because Jesus points us back to it constantly. And so he's pointing back to the Old Testament right here. Okay, you know the story. You know what happened. Death and destruction because they, they compromised. They're led astray. And that's what's going on in the church right now. And so Jesus is calling them out for compromising. So what the church, what the Christians are doing in this day and age is they are saying, I can be a Christian. I can follow Jesus. And also I can worship all these other gods. And so there's a couple things that are, that are mentioned specifically. You see in the passage there, it says you're eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, you might think, okay, what's the, what's the big deal about that? Well, is, is that bad? Like, and so sacrifice to idols, and then someone brought this food and said, hey, I got some food for you? No, it wasn't like leftovers from the sacrifice thing. No, it was actually they were participating in the ceremony of the worship of these gods and eating this food. And so, again, they're worshiping other gods while they're declaring Jesus is the Lord and their God of their life, too. And then they're practicing sexual immorality. And so they're saying it's okay to, you know, you can sleep around with this person and do whatever you want. You know, you can have, you know, you can worship this God and have sex with temple prostitutes and you can do all of this and still be a Christian. And they thought it was okay. So it wasn't like they were doing these things and trying to hide it. I hope nobody knows and, and I'm just, I got to deal with this. I know it's wrong, but I, but I keep doing it. It wasn't one of those things. It was like, hey, it's okay. This is kind of the teaching of the Nicolaitans where it's okay for you to be a Christian and do all these other things. And here's why they're doing it. They're, they're doing these things because they just want to fit in. Think about this culture they're living in where they can be persecuted and looked down upon because they're a Christian and they, they declare Jesus as Lord and not Caesar as Lord. And so we talked about this last week in the persecuted church. Talk about how they can lose jobs. They're unemployed. They can become broke and poor. They can get thrown into prison. They can get sent to the island of Patmos, just like where John is right now. They could even be executed like their friend Antipas. And so they're, they're struggling with this. There's, there's a fear that comes into them. They know that saying yes to Jesus could cost them their life, but sometimes over time, this fear can rise up, and they're like, okay, I can, I can be a follower of Jesus, but I can also do this other stuff. Because I just want to fit in. I'm tired of the persecution. I'm tired of people looking down on me. I just want to like make it in life. And so if i got to compromise a little bit here and there so I can make it, then it's okay, right? It's fine. And so Jesus is saying, no. No. That's not how I've called you to live. So I think it's important for us to understand what is sexual immorality. And there's a lot of people today that would disagree with what we say is sexual immorality. 
and how to define, you know, what's right, what's wrong sexually. But we want to go to, to God's word and his standards, and we'll talk about the why of all of that today. But here's sexual immorality in the Bible. This is what it means. It's really just simply put any sexual activity outside the boundary of a husband-wife relationship. That's sexual immorality. Anything outside of that is being sexually immoral. Now, Jesus wants you and I to be sexually moral. He wants us to not be sexually impure, but to be sexually pure. Like, that's why he thought it up. I mean, you realize that God made up sex, right? It was his idea. Okay, I actually, two years ago, I did a whole sermon on, there's, I believe that sex is proof there is a God. And if you want to listen to that message, you can go online and check it out. Okay, so two years ago, I did a whole thing on that. But, I mean, think about this. If God created sex, wouldn't you want to know that God? Like, the God who thought that up, like, okay, people think sex is so awesome, like, it is a God to them today. It is one of our gods. It's like the big deal, you know, and so we just want to do it as much as possible. It's become like a, a God, but here's the deal. God, who created us and all of this, he thought it up. It was his idea. He wants you and I to enjoy sex, but there's some boundaries to it. And the reason for that is because he knows how, it's, how you can enjoy it to the fullest. Now, there's a lot of people that would disagree with that. But I, I, I challenge you to look at the words and the teachings of Jesus and follow him and trust him, and you see who experiences more freedom in their life by how they live and the choices they make. And so, the Christians here in Pergamum, they're giving in to all of these, you know, sexual morality and, you know, worshiping other gods because they just want to fit in. They, don't, they want people to think they're still okay, they're still cool, they're still somebody, even though they're a Christian. And we can do the same thing today, too, right? We just want to fit in. I don't want people to think I'm, like, old-fashioned, I'm not an old fuddy-duddy because I'm a follower of Jesus. Like, I have fun, too. Christians are cool, too, and we can go to great lengths to prove it, even to the point of compromising. Compromising is a, is a dangerous thing. You know, as we look at the Church of Pergamon, we could call it the compromising church because that's what Jesus is calling out here in the Church of Pergamon. It's easy for us to fall into the same trap. We, we compromise just to fit in. Ever been there? Ever found yourself doing things, saying things, being a participant of things that you know aren't good and healthy and right, or things that you said you would never, ever do, but there, nonetheless, there you are. You find yourself in that place. You know it's not right, but you're compromising because you're just trying to fit in. I just want to be a part of this crowd and this group. I want to be accepted we can compromise. I want this relationship. I need to, I, I feel lonely, and we can compromise in this relationships, and we can make a decision in relationships. We're just settling. We're just compromising, but we're not trusting Jesus for his best for us. Sometimes we can get to the place where we compromise. We just don't care, if we're honest. I just want this. I just want to do this. Other times we can compromise, and we can actually go to the Bible, and we can convince ourselves it's okay and it's biblical. To compromise. Well, I don't see you. Don't prove to me, Tyrone, and why this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. That's what was going on in the Church of Pergamum. The Nicolaitans are saying it's okay to do this and to be a Christian. It's okay to do these things, but it didn't line up with the teachings of Jesus. So it's important we understand that God is holy. We serve and worship a holy God. Did you know that? 
So right now, around the throne of God, angels are singing and declaring who God is. And they're not singing love, love, love. Grace, grace, grace is the Lord God Almighty. Or peace, peace, peace. What they're declaring right now, and they have declared throughout the ages, is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His holiness is what really, really matters. It's what sets him apart. It's what makes him... uh, greater and more powerful than any of us. We can't even understand and fathom his holiness because of our finite brains. But God is so holy that when we come in contact with his holiness, it's so powerful that we can experience like what John experienced in John chapter one. We fell as old dead in the presence of God because God is so holy. He is whole. He's perfect. He is complete. There is no sin No imperfection in him. He is completely whole. That's who God is. That's what sets him apart. And he has called you and I to be holy as well. Did you know that? Uh, We got this group on on Monday nights that part of our discipleship groups this fall. I just love it. I'm a part of the Monday night group called Knowing God. We're studying the different characteristics of God. This week we're reading about God is holy. He's a holy God. I love this. It's so important for us to understand the holiness of God and how he's called you and I to also be holy. Holy, And I'm talking about this for a few moments, knowing that this isn't the most popular of topics to talk about right now. Typically, when I dive into this topic, I don't get a bunch of, amen, yeah, it's good. You know, I start getting a little, like, we start getting a little quiet and like, seen a lot of this right now, yeah, you know, and we're kind of processing things and listening to things. Okay, Tyrone, you can just tell some jokes again. You're going to get funny again, you know, because it's kind of one of those like, what? Like, it's not popular, but I feel like this is so important for us to talk about, guys. And I want you to hear my heart in this. My heart is not judgmental at all. I, don't, I pray that it doesn't come across judgmental. I pray that it doesn't come across self-righteous. I am not perfect, just like none of us. But I do know that there's a God who loves us no matter what. Aren't you thankful for that? <laughs> like, even when you were an idiot yesterday, God loved you. Thank you, God. Okay, he loved me no matter what, but he's called us to grow and not stay where we're at. And to this process of sanctification, to become more like him, we're called to be holy like God. This is calling that we all have. And can I just say that the more you grow in that, the more you're going to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, Jesus says, for they will see God. You want to see God more in your life? You want to see more of his power and his presence at work in your life? You grow to become more and more like him. God always loves you. His love is always there for you. But I pray that you and I grow with a hunger of becoming more like him and grow in holiness. Because that's the calling that we all have. And you will experience more of God than you ever thought possible as you grow in holiness. Guys, it's fun and it's freeing to grow in holiness. And and that's why I want to take a few moments to just camp on this because I know it's not popular, but it's so important. It's biblical, and this is what Jesus is doing to the church in Pergamum, and he's also saying it to us today. Sometimes Jesus just needs to call us out and saying, hey, you're living an immoral life. It's time to get back on track and trust me. So we live in a day and age where truth is kind of relative, Right? Like you can have your truth, you can have your truth. And, and even though those truths might be totally different and may even disagree with each other, they might be completely opposite. What we like to say today, what a lot of people say today is, that's okay. Because you got your truth and I got my truth and it's, it's all, we're all good. Okay? It's the truth. But it's kind of interesting. 
when you look at truth that way. So I think, to be fair, everybody is entitled to their opinion, right? Everybody has an opinion. You are entitled to have whatever opinion. And even if people disagree with me in their opinion, I want them to know I love them. I love you even if we disagree. Like, I'm not gonna unfriend you because we disagree. I'm not gonna like, I'm gonna take my ball and I'm gonna go play over here. I'm not gonna be a friend with you anymore. I'm gonna throw a fit because you disagree with me. I don't, I can't stand it when people just like, they disagree, so I cannot associate with that person. Like, we can still love people. It doesn't mean you have to be best friends and hang out and all that kind of stuff. We can still love people right where they're at. Okay, so, and people, we're entitled to our opinion Everyone deserves that, and everyone deserves to be loved right where they're at, okay? And we shouldn't look down on people just because they disagree with us. So, <laughs> uh, you feeling me here? Okay, I, I think it's important. But something happens when we say, okay, but we have differing of opinions, but they're both true. Okay, your truth is just as equal and valid as, as my truth, even though they, like, they, they don't even agree with each other. Like, and so you look at that, and you're like, how does that... How does that make sense if we're talking about truth here? Basically, we're eroding truth. There's no such thing as truth, if that's the case. Or the other option is this. At least one of us, maybe both of us, but at least one of us is wrong. That's the other option right there, right? But we don't like that option because we hate to be wrong. It doesn't feel good to be wrong, does it? That's why we love to get in arguments. We fight with people because we're always right. And then we find out the truth. The truth is sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes you're wrong, right? Did you know that? Have you found that out yet? Okay, turn to your neighbor right now and tell them that. Sometimes you're wrong. Okay, tell them. Come on. Sometimes you're wrong. <laughs> and now say this, and so am I. Okay, well, let's be real. Let's be humble, okay? So that's, that's sometimes <laughs> we're all wrong. So let me just stop right here and just say this. If... God is real. If he exists and he created all of us and everything, and if this is his word, and this word teaches us and shows us how to walk close to him and, and how to follow him and shows us his ways, if all of that is true, then doesn't it make sense to trust him in his ways and go to him? A good, loving parent will correct their child when they see them going down the wrong path, right? Right? So they see them making a bad decision and we'll correct them, don't do that. Because we love them and we care about them and we want what's best for their life and we want them to learn how to discern right from wrong. And so as we correct them in love, hopefully they grow up and they can discern on their own someday what's right and what's wrong. That's the goal. And so Jesus will do the same thing for us someday. He will speak sometimes. Sometimes it's it's oftentimes, but he will speak things to us that's true that we needed to hear. It's words of correction to get us back on track because we're heading down a path that's destructive and Jesus doesn't want us to go down that path. Remember, he says, I got life, abundant life for you. Don't go back. That's, that path is going to lead you to, you're going to be stolen from. You're going to face destruction, death. And so Jesus will speak to us because he wants what's best for us. And he has these boundaries in place that are for our best. If you drive down the 101, there's always a boundary right in the middle of the highway there, right? right in the, and they've been doing construction on that for like the last five years, it feels like, up here. And, and, but we, we, we still appreciate the boundary in the wall in the middle of the 101. When you have a road on a cliff, many times you'll see a, a, a fence or like a, a post or boundaries or, 
a wall on the side of the, the road so that your car doesn't go off the cliff. We appreciate those boundaries, don't we? Those are good. Those make sense to us. I have actually never heard anybody get super mad at the, the boundary in the middle of the 101. You ever heard that before? Like, has anybody ever said, like, how dare they put up a wall in the middle of the highway? The nerve, I can't believe the government and the state. They just want to control everything, don't they? Like, I should be able to drive wherever I want to on the highway. So controlling. Like, you don't hear, we don't think about that, right? Because the boundaries, they make sense. Like, everyone can go fast on that side and everyone can go fast on this side and it just helps everybody. It makes sense. The same is true for the boundaries that Jesus gives us. They make sense. Now, here's the deal. We're free to make any choice we want. You can cross those boundaries. You can drive over the cliff. But as we go outside the boundaries of Jesus, it always leads to death and destruction. We still have this freedom to choose. God set it up that way from the very beginning in the garden. You can eat from all the trees, all the fruit, except for this one. But we like the forbidden fruit, don't we? That's what we go after. It's the forbidden fruit. Isn't that amazing? Everything is yours. Just don't have this, this one little thing right here. And we're like, I want that. It's, it, you know, it's the whole like wet paint, don't touch. What do we do? Oh, it's right. It's true. It's right. It's wet. Yeah. You messed up someone's paint job. But we like kind of like inside of us, like I got to rebel and I got to, I don't, I don't trust that. And I'm going to, I'm going to test it out and see if it's real. And so we like the forbidden fruit, but Jesus gave us freedom. So you and I are free to choose what path are we going to do, who are we going to trust. And if you trust Jesus, his path leads to protection. It leads to abundant life. It leads to freedom. And so we got to realize that something outside of us has to determine truth. Because humans will never agree on a lot of things, on what's true and what's morally true and not, and not true and all that. And so we need somebody outside of us a creator, perhaps, that establishes this is what is true for all people at all times. And thankfully, that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus himself, in his own words, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is clearly establishing himself as the epicenter, the foundation of truth. He is the full embodiment of truth in his own words. And so he will come and he will speak words to us of truth that sometimes don't feel good, but we need to hear to get us back on track, to get us back close to him. Because he knows, and he said this, it's recorded in John 8, you know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he wants your freedom. And so as we trust Jesus with his ways and his standards, there's a freedom that we can experience. And, and can I be honest and just say that Jesus is more concerned with your freedom than your feelings. And sometimes it might hurt to receive truth and to, um, to, to receive a message like of correction, but we needed it because it brings freedom. And that's what Jesus longs for us, for you to experience freedom. And so as we trust him, he knows what's best for us. He designed us. He created us. He knows. And so we go to his word and we can trust him as the one who gives us freedom. And so here's what we got to do. This is the message he gave to the church in Pergamum, and sometimes we got to respond the same way when we find ourselves in the same place. Verse 16, repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so Jesus is saying, stop compromising, church. Stop sinning. Don't give in to this stuff. 
and repent. And so repentance is an important thing for us in our life. Repentance literally means doing a 180. Like I'm going this way, and I need to do 180, go in the opposite direction, change my attitude, change my thinking, change my behavior. I acknowledge I was going the wrong way, now I'm gonna go back 180, this is the right way to go. That is repentance. And so please don't receive repentance as Jesus looking at you and saying, you don't even know what's good, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you just need to acknowledge that you're stupid and then just trust me. That's not repentance. Repentance is this, Jesus saying, hey, you're going the wrong direction. You are literally going away from me. So when Jesus says repent, he's literally saying, turn back to me. Come back to me. I want to be close to you. So if you repent and come back in the opposite direction, you're coming towards me, and I just want to be close to you. That's the heart of Jesus, and that's why he calls us to repent. And sometimes we need to do it, don't we? So we can come back to Jesus. Uh, otherwise, we can face that sword of his mouth there. That, that is again, and we, I'll just skip over that and the significance of that. Uh, the significance of a lot of these things that we see in these messages to the seven churches, it, there's so much here, guys, I should say. We're, we're not even covering half of it today. But I want to bring it to a close here, invite John Mark up here, and look at these, this, last, um, this last verse here. Because Jesus shows us and the church of Pergamum how he would take care of them if they repented, trusted in him, and stayed faithful. He says, this is what I'm gonna do. And so verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I pray that the Spirit would give you an ear to hear these last few moments together, but he would speak to you. Maybe some words of correction, words of some love, words of acceptance that you need to hear. Pray the Spirit opens our ears to hear these last few moments. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So Jesus, again, is referring back to an Old Testament story, hidden manna. That manna was what God provided for the Israelites in the desert. They wandered around the desert before they got to the promised land. There's no food in the desert. And so God literally provided manna from heaven for them every single day after day after week after month, year after year. God took care of them. He provided manna for them. And I love that word manna because it literally means what is it? Because they didn't know what, like, when they look at this, like, what is it? What is it? I don't know. What is it? You know what it is? I don't know what it is. Let's, let's just call it that. What is it? Yep. What is it? It's manna. And so God provided manna from them, for them in the desert. And he showed to them, no matter where you're at, I can take care of you. I can provide for you. I am that loving and powerful. Jesus would say the same thing to you. No matter what season you're in, I can be your provision. I am the hidden manna. You maybe didn't even see it before. You don't even know what's coming, but I'm going to provide for you you're gonna see it eventually because I want to take care of you. In fact, Jesus, in his own words, he said this, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So again, Jesus is referencing the manna, just like he references in Revelation. And where did the manna come from? Now from heaven, right? Where did Jesus come from? He says, I just came down from 
heaven. I am the living bread. And here's what Jesus is saying. I am all that you need. All the nourishment, all the strength I have for you. I can satisfy your deepest needs, the deepest longings of your heart, the deepest desires that you have, those desires that you struggle to even talk to other people about. I can meet every single one of those needs. And so Jesus is saying, overcome. As you overcome, this is what I will do for you. And remember what it means to be an overcomer is to stay faithful, stay faithful, stay faithful. Keep trusting in him and he will take care of you. You don't have to settle for anything less than what Jesus has for you. You can trust him for the best. And that's why I think it's important for us to even talk about holiness and purity because I think purity and holiness allows you and I to experience God's best. And he wants what's best for you. And that's why I want what's best for you. I want you to experience all that God has for you. And he has the ability to, to give you everything you need. And then he talks about the white stone with her name on it. It's kind of difficult to understand fully what that means. We do know that that was really a message of assurance to those Christians in that church there in Pergamum because they would have understood this. Several different possible meanings, but I think it's likely referring to these white stones that they used in the, the culture that time that gave them entrance into special events and feasts and festivals. And only important people got the white stones. And so Jesus is saying, I got a white stone for you, and it's got your name on it. And I want you to know that not only am I going to take care of you, but I'm, I'm, going, I'm inviting you to the most important feast and festival you could ever get an invitation to. And when you read through Revelation, you realize that Jesus is, is pointing us to Revelation 19. A couple times talks about the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. He says, I'm inviting you to that feast. You may not get all the popular invitations nowadays, and that's what was going on for the Christians in Pergamum. They didn't get the invites to the, to the cool places because they were looked down upon. They were persecuted. But Jesus is saying, I got a more important invitation. Don't get caught up with all the other stuff right now and, and being popular and getting invited to this and that because I got something that's more important. I'm inviting you. I got a stone with your name written on it so that you can be with me in the end. And we're going to start with a big feast, by the way. That's how it begins. And so Jesus, as we read through Revelation, realized Jesus is coming back for his church. He's coming back for his believers, for us. And he views you and I as his church, as his bride. We're his bride. He wants to come back for his bride. Pergamum means marriage. Kind of interesting. It means marriage. And so here Jesus is giving this message to the church in Pergamum, and he's saying, I need you to be faithful. I have a covenant relationship with you. I've given everything for you, and I'm calling you to be faithful back to me just like I'm going to be faithful to you. Hey, when it comes to relationships, there's one thing every relationship agrees upon. Don't cheat, right? Everybody, like cheating, bad, wrong. It leads to lots of hurt, brokenness, heartache, pain, division. Like cheating is not good, we all agree on that. And so Jesus is saying, I am in a marriage covenantal relationship with you. I promise I'm never going to cheat on you. I've already proven it. I've gone to great lengths. I've given my whole life for you. I'm calling you not to cheat on me. Be faithful to me to the very end. Then you're an overcomer knowing I'm going to provide for you all the way. And I got an invitation for you. And this is an invitation that really, really matters. 
And I pray that you and I would be so dedicated to Jesus that we wouldn't compromise in our relationship with him and we wouldn't cheat on him. But if you find yourself in a place where you're doing that, my encouragement to you is to do exactly what he told Pergamum. Repent. Repent. Turn back to Jesus. Put your trust back in him again and experience the life and the freedom that he has for you. And I love what Acts 3 says about repentance. Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Anybody need some refreshing right now? Times of refreshing are coming your way if this is where you're at. Would you stand to your feet? I'd love for us all to close our eyes right now. We're just gonna pause here for a moment and just listen. Maybe the Spirit has opened your ears already and is speaking to you. Maybe He hasn't. Let's just... Listen, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to us? How can we respond to you right now? Jesus, we thank you for your love. Huh. Where would we be without your love and your grace? And I just want to pray for my friends right now that are hearing from you words of conviction and correction. And I pray, Lord, as they ask for forgiveness and they repent, Lord, that you would refresh them. Times of refreshing. A season of refreshing is coming as they repent and they get back on track with you. Lord, I'm praying that they would grow in a hunger and a passion for holiness and purity so they can experience your best. Lord, let that be stirred up inside of them right now. I pray uh, by faith in the name of Jesus, stir up a hunger for, for purity and for holiness and a desire to be as close to you as they possibly can. I pray that right now in Jesus' mighty name. Oh, Lord, may we, your people, desire to live like you and to be like you and to be close to you. Lord, forgive us for compromising. Forgive us for trying to fit in. Forgive us for allowing fear to take over and thinking it's okay to do this when you've clearly called us to live holy and pure lives. Lord, I pray that you would purify your people, purify your church, and I pray that we would not live lives of compromise. In Jesus' name, Lord, so we can walk in your freedom and the life that you have for us. For those that have never put their trust in you and their hope in you, Lord, I pray that right now they would sense your loving presence. God, would you just wrap your arms around them? May they see that you care about them. You love them so much. You proved it by going to the cross and dying for their sins already. But even right now, your presence is just filling them, overwhelming them, and showing them that you see them. You know who they are. You know where they live. You know what they're going through, and you love them. And you're calling them to you. God, I pray that you would draw them to you. Holy Spirit, call them by name right now. If that's you, just say yes. Respond to Jesus. Accept his love and his grace. Commit to following him. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. Turn back to Jesus. Forgive. Ask him to forgive you for not 
going his way and just trying to do it on your own. Receive his loving grace right now. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.